Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, good morning, church. Man, it is good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, would you pull them out and grab them and open them up to the book of Psalms? We're going to be looking at Psalm 78 this morning. And if you're a first-time guest, I want to welcome you to our church. Uh, We are so thankful that you are here. And I know that many guests this morning are here because we have something special that's going to happen at the very end of our message today. We're going to have a number of parents uh, up in front of you making a public commitment uh, to raise their kid to their kids to know and love the Lord, and they're going to be asking you to support them in that partnership. And so this morning, what we wanted to do is I wanted to take us to Scripture and be able to kind of lay out why we would do something like that on a Sunday morning, why we think that's an important thing, why we would support families who want to make that kind of commitment publicly. And so we're going to look at Psalm 78, the first 11 verses, because I believe it lays out a a basis for why uh, we are called as parents to raise our children. But I'm, I'm really thankful for AJ's prayer there, because that is my prayer for us this morning, is that every time we come together as a church family and we open up God's word, uh, we want the Lord to take over from there. We want him to use his word to convict, to encourage, to inspire, to guide. I mean, God's word is living and active, and it's able to go forth as it's proclaimed and actually speak to every single heart that's listening here in the room and online. And so that's our desire this morning. So even though this morning we're kind of setting up a basis for something that's going to happen at the end that we think is great and important in the life of our church, I believe that uh, our message today is, has something for every single person in the room, whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ or not. And so we're going to be looking at Psalm 78 this morning, just the first 11 verses. And I want to set it up a little bit because in our Bibles, it gives us a description of what this psalm was intended to be and who wrote it. It says here that it's a masculine of Asaph. Now, masculine can refer to a couple of different things when we see that in our Bibles, but typically what it means is that this was meant to be a wisdom uh, words. Oftentimes written to be sung, but it, it, was, it was instruction given to a group of people. Uh, Asaph, the author of Psalm 78, was one of King David's chief musicians. He was given the responsibility of leading the people of Israel in worship outside the tabernacle, then eventually at the temple when that was built. And so uh, Asaph would be not only leading worship, but they would be writing songs and declaring back to God who he is that they would be speaking in such a way that they'd be acknowledging what God had done for them and how they were going to worship him and him alone. But Psalm 78 isn't just a worship song. There's something that Asaph wanted to make sure that you and I see. It's a charge. It's a call to the people of Israel. But I believe that the wisdom that's shared in Psalm 78 isn't just for the people of that day. I think the principles continue to march on in eternity because they are a call for us to remember who God is so that we won't forget him in the future. And we are forgetful people. Throughout the Bible, one of the consistent charges is don't forget, remember, don't forget, remember. And what do we see in the historical narrative of the Bible? People forgetting to remember who God is. 
And this is not like naively like, oh man, I spaced where I put my keys or oh yeah, I forgot that we said we were gonna meet at this time for coffee. This is a forgetting that says, I am actually walking away from the Lord to pursue something else that is not only harmful, but is offensive to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so this morning, I want us to look at what he's calling us to do here. I want us to consider it. And I want us to consider these wise words of Asaph. So if you have your Bibles turned there, Psalm 78, would you please stand with me as we read our passage this morning in honor of God's word. We're going to read the first 11 verses of Psalm 78. If you're ready, say ready. Ready. This is the word of the Lord. A masculine of Asaph. My people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known, and that our fathers have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the wondrous works he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimite archers turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wondrous works he had shown them. Do you believe it's important for us to remember what God has done? It absolutely is. You may be seated. Father God, as we turn our attention now to your word this morning, I pray that you would speak clearly through the pages of scripture, that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding. And for those who might be far from you, that your Holy Spirit would continue to draw them to consider the truth of your word. God, thank you for being a God who's faithful. Help us to remember. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. I just want to highlight three things we see here from Asaph as he's writing this out. Uh, Three things that he wanted his audience to listen. Now, there's a a lot more in Psalm 78. In fact, Psalm 78 is one of the longest psalms in the Bible. And the rest of Psalm 78 is a historical account of what the people of Israel did from the time God led them out of Egypt until God placed King David on the throne. And we're going to see that Israel continued to forget, continued to rebel, continued to worship false gods. And yet God remained faithful the whole time. But here in verses 1 through 3, we see Asaph's conviction. Would you look at it again with me? He's saying, my people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past. Things we have heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us. We see a plea here from Asaph. He's saying, listen, hear, pay attention to what I'm about to say. We all know the difference between hearing something and listening to something, right? The Hebrew word here for listen is actually to to bend down, to incline, to actually turn my attention towards. It's not just to hear. I remember there would be many times where I've had my parents or a teacher or a coach or somebody in my life telling me something, and I wasn't really paying attention. Did I hear them audibly talking? Yes. 
Could I maybe, in my short-term memory, tell them back what I just heard? Absolutely. But I wasn't really listening. I wasn't really considering. Maybe even some of you this morning are hearing me, but you're not listening. I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to what God's saying in his word. Would you do that? Because it's actually in the original language, not an optional suggestion. It's a command. It's an imperative. Listen. Listen. Listening is the first step to remembering. Listen to my words. So what does he go on to say here? Well, Asaph is saying, I'm going to take it upon myself to declare these things to you. Look what it says in verse 2. I will declare wise sayings. He's not saying that they're his wisdom, but wise things that he's going to impart. I will speak of mysteries from the past, things that were confusing in the past, but now we understand today. In verse 4, he's going to go on to say, I will tell this next generation. And so what Asaph's conviction is, what he's passionate about here at the very beginning of this psalm, is that God's word must be told, taught, and trusted. God's word must be told, taught, and trusted. Again, it's not just about, he's saying, hey, we need to be telling people what God has said. But there is an aspect throughout this first 11 verses and throughout the Bible that we see that we are called as believers, as we mature and as we gain a greater understanding of what God's word says, we are told not just to tell people about it, but to actually begin to help them understand it, to teach them God's truth. Teaching is more than just reciting something to somebody or telling them and expecting them to understand it completely. There's an aspect of teaching that says, let me come alongside you and begin to explain it to you. Unpack it, rebuild it, be able to illustrate it, be able to maybe show you something in culture or creation that maybe helps bring it to life as as an illustration. He's saying we must speak it. We need to talk about what God has done. We need to tell people who he is. We need to be people who are constantly talking about the Lord. God's word has to be told and taught in order to be trusted. See, there's a relational dynamic that I think he's identifying here. He says that things that we have heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us, we will not hide them from their children, but we will tell a future generation. There's a relational dynamic that he's calling the people to, to be able to take what they've known and what they've experienced God do in their lives, what they've witnessed God do around them, and now they are to pass it down. Continue to tell the future generations, tell their kids. I love how he even says in this text, that this practice is going to preserve the truth for people who are not even born yet so that they can know in the future. Think about some of the things that have been passed down to you. Think about the people who've come alongside you and have taught you different skills or trades, different uh, abilities, different interests. Think about how much more special it is in our memory when someone took the time to actually come alongside us and show us and do that through a relational context. When I was growing up, my dad is, my dad is Russian, and so I uh, have Russian family on that side. And so when I was a kid growing up and we'd go to the Russian side of my family, we would eat Russian food. 
And one of the things I loved eating growing up was pederski. And, and I didn't really know all the time that went into making pederski, but it, it takes a long time. But it's pretty basic in what it is. But then after my dad passed away, I began to have an interest in this. And so I got the recipe. That was my grandmother's recipe that my mom had made. That I remember seeing my mom making in the kitchen. And then I got that recipe. And now I've started to try to make it. And so I can share it with my family. Why? Because it's something special that I got to partake in. It was something that was passed down to me from generation to generation. He is saying, Asaph is saying, God's word should be that thing that to us is like, hey, if I could share something with you, if I could pass something down to you, something of value, something that's so special to me that I want you to be able to experience it because it brings me so much joy, it's going to be God's word. Is that the thing that you're passing down? Yeah, this morning's going to end by us seeing a bunch of parents up here saying, I want to raise my children to love God, to know God, so that they one day might believe in God for their own salvation. But the reality is whether you have children or not, whether your children are gone, whether they're out of the home, whether or not you don't want kids, we are all called to be people who proclaim God's truth to pass it down from generation to generation. Because the reality is, someone took this seriously, and that's why you are here today. Whether you are saved or not, someone said, I have to tell you about Jesus. Some of you have generations of faith that you come from. Your parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents loved Jesus, and they taught you, and you believed in salvation for yourself. You placed your faith in the gospel, and you are here today, now maybe passing that forward. But I know many of you are sitting in this room, and that is not your story. You did not have someone who passed down their faith to you. They passed down maybe a lot of other things that you're still trying to detangle yourself from. But the reality is that God used somebody else in your life that said, I have to tell you about this. And they told, they spoke it, they declared it, and you heard it. And whether you've believed in it or not, you're here today to hear more about it. We have to tell God's word. And this is his conviction here. He is serious about it. But the second thing we see here is Asaph's call. Look with me back at verse 4. It says, We will not hide them from their children, these things that have been passed down by their fathers. We will tell a future generation. And listen to the things that they're going to tell this generation about. The praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the wondrous works he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. A word worth passing down highlights God's truth, not our opinions. Notice the he in here, not the my. What is he going to pass down to future generations? The praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, the wondrous works he has performed. He has established a testimony which he commanded to our fathers that they would put their confidence in God and keep his commands. 
Man, we're just living in such a day and age right now where our opinions are just so strong. We're so passionate about the things that we are passionate about. And there is just, and everything is, is elevated. Everything is heightened. And we want to pass those things down. And we, we can. We can pass down our ideologies and our opinions and the way we see things and the way we think things need to be. But my question continues to be, if someone were to be asked, what is your passion? What is the thing that you want to make sure that you are passing down to the next generation, to your kids, to the people around you? The thing that you keep testifying is the most important thing they need to know in order to have a lasting life fulfilled in Christ. Is it going to be they see Jesus in you? They hear Jesus coming out? They hear you talking about him all the time? They see a trust that is found bedrocked on Christ? That's what Asaph says he's going to be about. That's the only thing worth passing down. All that other stuff's going to change. All that other stuff's going to fade away. It's going to, it's going to ebb and flow based on culture, based on all the things that go around. But the word of the God stands forever. That's hard. But why is he going to talk about God's word? Why is he saying, I'm going to tell? We can't hide this stuff. We shouldn't keep it to ourselves. Why must I tell these kids and these next generations and all these people around me about God's wondrous works and his might? It's so that they won't forget. That's what he says in verse 7. So they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his command. Here's the thing I want us to see. God wants us to be a channel, not a reservoir. See, some of us are committed to learning God's word. We want to know God. We're, we're in growth groups here at church. We're in an oikos group. We're going to counseling. We're going to most excellent way. We're showing up on Sundays. We want to know God's word. And I believe God's word is changing lives today. Who can testify that God's word is changing their life? Right? Amen. And that feels good. And I want more of that. But my selfish bents are when something is good, I'm very, I'm, I have a bent in me that says, do I really want to help somebody else with this? There are certain treats we get at my house that like, I don't want the kids to find. <laughs> right? There's something in us that's like, man, this is really good. And maybe it's not because we're being totally selfish. It's just like we're just so focused on the joy we're getting out of it. We forget to tell other people where they can find it. When I lived in Idaho, I learned about Lucky Peak. Lucky Peak was a, a big reservoir on the east side of town. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't look like that right now. They've been having some droughts the last couple of years. But when it's full, it's this beautiful place. People camp there. They boat there. Uh, it's a beautiful reservoir that's up kind of in the valley. And, and the place where uh, Boise is and, and, and Meridian and Eagle and those places is called the Treasure Valley. And what's interesting is if you go past this east towards Twin Falls, heading east on I-84, and you've probably driven, many of you driven through there, it's, it's just high desert. It's brown. It's, it's kind of just desert. But the reality is the Treasure Valley, from a point where you can see, is, is green, it's, it's, it's lush, it has farmland all over. And that's because these rivers and these reservoirs, they, they fill up from the, the rain and from the snow, and then they feed the valley. 
And one of the amazing things that I loved living there was that all of the neighborhoods are built in old farmland on these grids, super easy to get around, unlike Salem. (laughs) But every spring, they open up the irrigation and they have these channels that go all the way out, miles and miles of irrigation, all the way into all these neighborhoods. And it is very, very inexpensive to keep things green. You can have sprinklers, you can run your water because you have this irrigation water that comes out. You know, if that reservoir just kept filling up and filling up and filling up, and there wasn't a way to send that water down to the valley, there wouldn't be a treasure valley, there wouldn't be farmland, there wouldn't be rich agriculture, it would just be dry desert. But it's been designed to be able to take that goodness and to send it out so it can bless other places so that it can grow things. God has given us his word. It is a treasure. And yet he has not called us to be a reservoir where we just, you know, learn God's word and we keep it to ourselves because it's kind of a private matter. No, he's saying, I want this word that's been passed down to you to flow through you into the next generation so that it continues to bring life and to bring saving faith to people and that they can be learning and growing and knowing what to do. God desires us to be a channel, not a reservoir. You might go, well, there's other people that are called to proclaim God's word. And that's, you know, the job of the pastor or the preacher. Or, you know, that's what some people do. Or I used to do that when I was younger. But, you know, I've kind of already done my stint in in ministry. And so now I'm not really concerned about sharing about who God is. Something's clogged your channel. You're clogged. (laughs) May it never be. May it never be that something would prevent God's word from coming in me and coming out of me so that I can tell the future generation, whether it's my kids or the people that I'm around. This is what I want us to see. This is making a charge to families because God designed the family to be the place where we would be the first to educate our kids about who God is. But we cannot tell them something that we don't possess ourselves. And so we have to possess it ourselves, but it should flow through us. And it shouldn't just be to our kids it should be to those who are around. i got to tell you about the Lord. And so this is Asaph's call. Let's not hide it. Let's not keep these things to ourselves. Let's tell the future generation of the praiseworthy acts of the Lord. Let's tell them about his might, how strong he is. Let's tell them about the wondrous things he's already done that prove that he is trustworthy, that we can believe in him without a shadow of a doubt, that he is greater than anything we will ever face here on earth. Well, then the last thing we see here is his concern. Why is he making this passionate plea? Well, look at verse 8. Then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimite archers turned back on the day of battle and they did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wondrous works he had shown them. Asaph's concern, simply put, is that they would repeat the sins of a previous generation. His concern is that if we don't declare God's word, if we don't let it flow through us and and, and let it flow down, then what we are doing is we're setting up our kids and our grandkids and those who are around us to fail like those who have come before us. 
Why? Why did that lead to failure? Because the people forgot. The people forgot. It doesn't, it doesn't, it takes a lot of faith to pass down our faith. It takes a lot of growing and maturity and humility and submission to God's word and, and, and a spirit-produced faithfulness to remain faithful to God so that the word of God continues to flow through us. That's hard work. Spiritual discipline is hard. That's why we need the Lord to help us stay faithful. And when we think of the fruit of the Spirit, the, the qualities that the Spirit of God produces in us when we stay connected to Him and we abide in the vine, it's easy to, to list the first few. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness is often overlooked because then we jump to self-control. It's like, I need more self-control. I need more peace. I need a love. I'm not very joyful. I need God to help me be faithful. And how many times we're like, well, I'm just going to be faithful this year. I can't. You can't. We actually need him to help us to be faithful. And so it's, it's hard work to stay faithful, to actually fulfill this call that Asaph is calling the people of Israel to, to be the people that constantly tell of God's good works and continue to let that flow through them. But you know what? It only takes one generation for that to be completely broken. Completely. And here's the reality. Faith needs to be fed. Faith is the means to salvation. It's not your works. It's not your determination. It's not your faithfulness. It is your faith in the gospel that causes God to look at you and say, I'm going to apply my son's death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf. I'm going to wipe away your sins. And now you stand before me clean. You are saved forever. I'm going to place my Holy Spirit inside you And now we are going to walk now in newness of life, unified together. But that faith starts out simply by trusting in the gospel for salvation. But your faith needs to be fed. Think about the seed. A seed is just a a, a copy of, of the plant it came from. And inside of it, it has all it needs to be fruitful and to mature. But a seed needs to be placed in the right conditions for it to begin to grow. The same is true for you and I as believers. When we place our faith in Christ, we are now a new creation. And inside of us, we have a potential that we did not have before, a potential to be somebody in Christ that we can never be on our own. But that needs to be fed. We see this illustration of the seed about the sower who spreads the seed and there are seed that gets into fertile soil and in the right conditions, it grows and matures and becomes fruitful for itself. But we see other kinds of seed that if it's left on the dry ground or it goes amongst the thorn, it has the ability to be squelched out to to prevent it from growing. Faith needs to be fed in order to grow. How do we feed faith? By continuing to tell of God's praiseworthy works, his might, all the things that he has done, to talk about his goodness, his grandeur, to talk about his commands and why they are good for us. And so faith is fed through relationship by me taking the time to tell other people about the Lord. But faith is starved by silence. Faith is starved by silence. If we get quiet about this, assume that everybody knows, 
take the easy way out because it's getting more controversial to talk about the Lord, to stand with him, to stand for what he is about. What we'll see is we will revert to sinful, stubborn, rebellious behavior. And so we need to feed faith so that we don't forget. John Phillips in his commentary on this passage says this, the past is a great interpreter of the present and a great safeguard of the future. You want to know how we got to today? Look at the past. We can see the steps that led us to where we're at today. And now we have a choice to where we want to go in the future. Are we going to continue the cycle or are we going to break the cycle? Asaph highlights here in verse 8 what happens when men are silent. He says that they would be stubborn. If you continue, I want to encourage you this week to read the rest of Psalm 78. And you will see a stubbornness amongst the people of Israel who God had delivered out of Egypt after hearing their cries of oppression had provided for them water in the wilderness, manna, quail, food, gave them a land that they did not have to to earn. And yet they continued, despite God's continued provision, they continued to, to sin. They were stubborn. They didn't want to turn from what they wanted. They're rebellious. He says, if we, if we stop this, they're going to forget God's commands and they're going to be rebellious like their forefathers. And we see this in the rest of chapter 78, that they rejected him over and over again and they tested him as if God is supposed to meet their needs and their demands, as if God works for them. And they were unfaithful. It says multiple times that they continue to worship false gods. They turned their affection towards something that was created by God and placed it up as God rather than worshiping the one that created all things. Now you go, yeah, I know, Pete. I, I, can, I can read. I, I read the Bible. I read the Old Testament. Yeah, those Israelites, they just, man, I'm so glad I'm not an Israelite. I mean, why couldn't they just get it? Why couldn't they just see God's good provision? I would never do that. If we get silent about telling the next generation the truth of God's word, lifting this up, faith will be starved, and man will revert back to his fleshly evil tendencies. He will become stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful. 2018, Barna put out an article. The title was Atheism Doubles Among Generation Z. And it said this, it may come as no surprise that the influence of Christianity in the United States is waning. Rates of church attendance, religious affiliation, belief in God, prayer, and Bible reading have been dropping for decades. Americans' beliefs are becoming more post-Christian and concurrently, religious identity is changing. Enter Generation Z, people born between 1999 and 2015. They are the first truly post-Christian generation. I got a picture for us here. It shows the kind of the progression and the different generations. And what they're noticing in this article, if you see the blue, it's pretty consistent in 2018 between those of the elder generation, boomers, Gen X, millennials, about 6 to 7% of people that would claim this as atheists. I don't believe in God. I reject God. But you look at Gen Z, people born from 1999 to 2015, it doubles. Doubles. That's a lot, statistically. 
And listen to this statement that was in the article. This is what just jumped out to me. It says, it appears that today's youth, like so many throughout history, struggle to find a compelling argument for the existence of both evil and a good and loving God. One of the things that is driving people towards rejecting the whole idea of God is because they can't hear. They have not heard a compelling argument for how can a good God exist when there still be evil in the world. And I hear that going, they haven't heard a compelling argument because good people are remaining silent. Because all the evidence you need is right in here. You might think, well, no, the atheists are doing a good job. They're blowing holes in the Bible. They're showing all the inconsistencies. I will challenge you that the Bible is willing and able to stand up to any cross-examination by anybody who wants to say that you can't not make a case for where does evil come from and how can a good God allow that? It's in here. But if we get silent and we don't know for ourselves, if we can't answer that for ourselves, we haven't been reading God's word and we're not gonna be able to tell the next generation and fulfill Asaph's call if we can't know it for ourselves because we can't pass down something that we don't believe ourselves. We can't engage a culture and answer their questions if we can't answer the questions ourselves. And so the truth of who God is, what he's done and what he said must be kept in front of us because the enemies of faith are not passive. Asaph's desire was that there would be no generation gap. There wouldn't be a generation with faith, faith, and then silence. His desire is that there would be a continuing, continuing proclamation of the truth of God's word. And so here's the bottom line for you this morning. You can break the cycle. You can break the cycle. But you can break the cycle either way. You can either break the cycle by saying, I'm going to start telling God's word, even though I didn't have that passed down to me, and I'm going to break this cycle of silence to start proclaiming the truth of God to my kids, my grandkids, my estranged kids, my prodigal kids, my neighbors, my friends, my family. I'm going to continue. I'm going to, start, I'm going to start that in the hopes that I might be a spark through God to be able to have faith begin and start a new cycle of generational faith. Or I can break the cycle by saying I've had faithfulness in my family, people who God has placed in my life who have been faithfully pleading and, and calling me to live for Christ, calling me to walk aside, and I can go silent. And break that, and it stops with me. Asaph is calling us to declare God's word, to not be a reservoir, to let it flow through us, because what's at stake is that if we go silent, we'll go back to sin. So, two questions for us this morning How's your connection? What do I mean by that? How's your connection? If we're called to be a, a, not a reservoir, but a channel, let's, let's switch the illustration. We're a hose. It's supposed to flow through us. How's our connection? Are we disconnected? Our hose is not even connected to the source of life, the living water. Or maybe it's connected, but man, it's loose and leaky and we don't have very good pressure because water is spraying out all over the place because we're kind of holding on, but we're really not. Or are we securely fastened and that water is fully flowing through us? 
powerfully and mightily through us and watering those that are around us. How's your connection this morning? But the second question for us to consider this morning, are are there any kinks in our line? You know, a kink, it gets bent, twisted. What causes a kink in our life? Well, it could be the flesh. One of, our, one of the enemies the Bible talks about, sinful desires. It could be the world. The world could cause us to get kinked up and not let God's word flow through us because it starts to kind of question us, cause us to maybe dismiss God's truth or trying to accommodate other opinions or tempt us to, to follow something else besides God. Or perhaps it's the enemy, the devil, who since the Garden of Eden has been trying to cause doubt in God's word and discouragement from the things we see going around. There's lots of things that can cause a kink in our hose that prevents us from being a channel. So how do you remove a kink, spiritually speaking? The verse that came to my mind was Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. It's not talking about a hose, but go with me here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him. And he will make your path straight. This morning, we're going to have some families come up here in just a few minutes. We're going to, we're going to sing a song in reflection. We're going to pray. And those families, and I'm going to invite them up. And they're going to make a commitment because they're wanting to take this call seriously for their children. And they're asking you as their local church family to support them in that because raising kids is hard work. But I just got to say one thing because I know sometimes when we talk about making commitments and raising our kids to, to know and love the Lord and being faithful to just the general call that we have as followers of Jesus Christ to tell other people about him, we can begin to right now The enemy could be coming into this room trying to throw spiritual darts at you to get a kink in your hose to make you think, well, I've already failed. My kids are already gone. I missed my opportunity. My reputation is torn and tattered. No one's going to listen to me if I start to try to take this serious. And I need you to hear something this morning. It's not too late. I want you to read the rest of Psalm 78. It's tragic to see what the Israelites did. But you know what it says about God? It says that he's faithful. It says, they deceived him with their mouths and lied to him with their tongues. Think about this. These people said, oh yeah, God, I love you. But they weren't being truthful. Oh yeah, God, we'll serve you. Since their hearts were insincere toward him and they were unfaithful to his covenant. But listen to this. Yet, yet, that's like, but. He was compassionate. He atoned for their iniquity and he did not destroy them. And he often turned his anger aside and did not unleash all his wrath. He remembered that they were only flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. You know how God does that for us today? Through Jesus Christ. When we are unflattering with our mouths or we make promises to God that we don't keep and we say that we're going to do something then we go right back to our sin. When we struggle 
This same God sent his son to die on a cross for our sins, be buried and rise again. And everyone who believes in that and says, I need to trust in that because I cannot save myself and there's nothing I can do to take care of my sin problem. But Christ did it and I'm gonna accept this gift of salvation. If I will do that, he is a compassionate God who's already paid the full penalty for my sin and he will not destroy me. He will redirect that anger, which he already did on his son on the cross. And he will restore relationship that I broke. See, today's the day of salvation. God's faithfulness is highlighted throughout the second half of this psalm. And the reality is it's not too late. Maybe you haven't been a channel. And maybe your reservoir is is dry because you haven't been connected. I'm telling you today, today, if you will turn to God, if you will seek after him, if you will listen to his word, he will begin to restore Fill you up with his word. He says those who drink from him, the living water will never thirst again. And then he will allow that to flow through you. He will remove those clogs and he will allow you to be part of the testimony of a faithful follower of him. That should be all of our goal, all of our goal, not just the parents of newborns. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for... Not only your love, but the challenges we get from Scripture. And I thank you for the faithfulness of those who have come before us, who took, took this seriously and through some sort of proclamation of the gospel, some sort of proclamation about you. We heard and many of us have responded and we are here today because somebody else told about who you are, proclaimed your gospel, and we have believed but God, you have not come back to take your people. It says that you, you are still not back because you are still drawing out a people for your name. You're still wanting people to hear the gospel and to respond in faith. And you've left us here to be your mouthpieces. And so whether it's first instilling that into our kids or whether now it's in our lives, just telling those that you've placed in front of us, God, would you call us to be faithful to talk about you, to tell of your good works above your might and all the wondrous things you've done. God, we love you, we thank you, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. We're going to sing a song here. Then after that song, I'm going to invite up some families, and they're going to come up here, and they're going to make a commitment to love and raise their children, to know God and to love him. And we're going to support them in that. Amen? So after this song, please stay seated, and we'll do that, and then we'll be dismissed.